to the Diverse Ed podcast. Diverse Educators is an intersectional community of educators who are passionate about diversity, equity and inclusion. Our vision, everyone is celebrated in every classroom in every school. Our mission, a collaborative community that celebrates the successes and amplifies the stories of diverse people. Our values, promoting acceptance, increasing visibility, encouraging celebration, creating belonging and enabling learning. In series one of the Diverse Ed podcast, we have 10 episodes. In each episode, our co-hosts, Nick Kitchener-Bentley and Yamina Beebe, will interview one contributor from each of the 10 chapters of Diverse Educators Manifesto. Each conversation will reflect on how they have found and used their voice, discuss how identity shapes them as an educator, share the challenges they've had to navigate on their journey, and identify the changes they would like to see in the school system. Hello and welcome to the Diverse Ed podcast. My name is Nick Kitchener-Bentley and I'm a lead practitioner and drama slash inclusion teacher at Sarah Brunel School. I'm also on the steering group for LGBT Ed. And I'm Yumina Beebe and I'm an assistant head teacher also at Sarah Brunel School. I'm also a Women Ed Network lead in London. In this episode, we'll be talking to Dr. Srihan from the race chapter. So let's get straight to it then. Um, could you please introduce yourself for the audience in one sentence? Yep, I am a senior lecturer in teacher education at the University of East London and a co-founder of Phys Equity and my specialism is, is PE. And we'd like to start by asking what inspired you to write your contribution to Diverse Educators and Manifesto? I think that often PE is neglected from discussions around EDI in schools. People don't quite know how does it link? How, do, how is it inequitable in the first place? So it's like an outsider subject. And people are often not through their own fault, like quite ill-informed of what physical education is in 2022 and what it should be. Um, they, they often think back to their own experiences in PE and quite largely they were negative and they think oh you know maybe it's still fitness testing maybe it's still skill drill game maybe it's still cross-country segregated sports and the focus on the physical so I think quite often head teachers and those that are making decisions about um you know EDI or book chapters and books that are coming out they're quite often talking about the other subjects and PE is not involved in that conversation so I really um, myself and my co-author Laura McBean we wanted to make sure that we were heard and our voices were heard um, and the book was the perfect avenue for that. I, I really agree with what you said there, and I think you do get your voices heard really well. And certainly whenever I hear you speak, actually, I think you really communicate what you're describing there about PE and you make it very, very clear and understandable. So I always find that really helpful. Um, a question that I was really interested in is about the whole chapter. Um, could you maybe tell us a little bit about the different themes that your whole chapter team wanted to explore? Yeah, we wanted to explore the Eurocentric nature of PE. So what actually is that? And quite often that is um, enacted in schools through the sport choice. So very Eurocentric sports. And you can see that like rotation of, you know, handball, athletics, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but also the pedagogy in which a teacher selects for their instruction, which is really often teacher directed. Um, you know, I say 
do this and you do it. Um, and, and that's a very white ideological pedagogy to use. And we really wanted to highlight ways in which you can move away from those things um, and have an anti-racist practice and include culture within the classroom because we, we are living, breathing, um, everything to do with our culture and our heritage so they're important conversational points that shouldn't be ignored within any educational space we've just selected PE to explore it. Yeah I love that and I can see obviously the impact of that at SB so that's great to hear about but we want to also ask what are some of the key challenges for people with a protected characteristic of race that your team really wanted to address? Yeah, I think often in physical education, people of colour are unheard and ignored, um, especially, you know, for example, in the book, we talk about Jamaica. If you're from Jamaica, where in the current, and I, I'm, I'm generalising here, we've got spaces and pockets of fantastic practice going on in, in certain schools. Sarah Vanell is a really good example, um, where actually culture is, culture is centralised, so students aren't being ignored because they're being spoken to and they're being asked about what they want to do through, you know, a negotiated curriculum or um, throughout the sports in which you, you know, the school have selected for them to do. So in terms of main takeaways, um, sorry, key challenges for people with this protected characteristic, um, it's, it's hearing people of colour in movement spaces, um, but also a discussion on the Eurocentric activities and anti-racist pedagogical approaches. Thank you. Um, really good to talk about the, the, those spaces and, and how we kind of um, improve them. One thing that you uh, wrote about in your uh, section was the key takeaways uh, for the reader. Um, and I'm just going to read them out because I love them. Um, and then maybe ask you if you would be able to expand upon them a little bit more and explain why you thought they were so important and what people could do with them. Um, so you said, know your students likes, dislikes, contextual information, prior learning and experiences. Share your curriculum ideas with students and negotiate delivery and avoid tokenism. Implementing a one-off unit does not make your uh, curriculum non-Eurocentric, which I think you're starting to talk about there, which is really interesting. Could you maybe just expand for us a little bit, please, then, on those takeaways and why they're so important? Yeah, I mean, knowing your students is essential. Um, what I would deliver in East London versus Bournemouth, where I'm, you know, I grew up, is totally different because we've got different challenges. We've got different contexts. Our students come from different um, places. They've grown up in different households. They've grown up in different houses, actually, because, you know, a flat in Bournemouth versus a flat in London is very different, especially if you're growing up in Tower Hamlets. You know, so knowing your students is so unbelievably essential. Um, every single academic year, I start with something called a student snapshot. And I find out pretty much everything about my students. So next week, I will go to Wales with my students. I know that 75% of them, their biggest fear is spiders. I know a large chunk of them, um, their biggest fear is failing and upsetting their parents. But I also know which religious holidays they celebrate. And I also know that some of them don't like to be picked, out, picked on in class. They don't like me to direct a question to them. So I, I already know so much about my students and I haven't even started teaching them yet. 
And that is something that everybody can do in any classroom, in any tutor group across the country. The first day you meet your student, you can even just show a picture of you and your family or you and your dog or you and whoever and say, this is me. This is a little bit, you know, here's the beach and I'm from Bournemouth and let's, let's learn about you. Show me a postcard or draw a postcard. Tell me about yourself. And knowing them is so important because John Dewey, and I, I hate to pick like a, a white, you know, philosopher and educationalist here, but because it's not very relevant, but, you know, talks about we can't really have knowledge unless we've got some experience. And so if you don't know that student's experience and something about their everyday living, how on earth can you even have start to try and help them learn some form of content? So knowing your students is so unbelievably important before I even talk about let's let's do kinball or let's do um, feminist self-defense or whatever. Um, and, I, you know, on the next one about sharing your curriculum ideas with students, negotiating delivery, I think it's really good that you know, you say to students, hey, listen, um, we're going to do a sport education unit. Um, this is part of something called a models based practice. And you can say it depending on the year group um, it, in lots of different ways so that they can understand. And you can say, right, this unit is all about responsibility and about being an authentic sports unit. So you're not going to hear from me much. And that really sets up your unit with the student so that they don't think that you're going to be stood at the front all the time telling them. Um, and it's not going to be teacher directed. And I think that's that's an important point as well, because quite often we don't share that expectation with students. Um, this is what it's going to look like. We shouldn't some students don't like surprises. Um, and then lastly, I've seen it so many times in schools, this tokenism, these like one off units. Oh, well, we're going to do a Paralympic day or in wider school, we're going to do Black History Week or Black History Month. I mean, no, these things should be immersed within the curriculum every single day. Um, and these one-off lessons are tokenistic and they, they, they highlight to students that everything else is normal. And on this one day is when we learn about this one topic. And, and I'll take the Paralympic day as an example. If you're doing a unit of football, why can't you do goalball? Why can't students wear blindfolds and they learn about a different game? It's some, you know, or volleyball, you can do seated volleyball at any moment of the unit. It doesn't have to be in a Paralympic unit necessarily. Um, so, yeah, I think hopefully I've given some people some ideas there. I love that. Thank you so much. And I think you speak so passionately about that as well, which is really important. I mean, part of your commitment to the manifesto in it, you ask for schools to essentially consider revision of the PE curriculum, moving away from a focus on sport and competition to focus on movement, joy and culture celebrations. Can you tell us a bit more about your commitment to the manifesto and how you want to galvanise actions from the reader and from our listeners? Yeah, I think I just want everybody who reads the chapter to think about ways in which they personally like to move. 
because they the people that read the chapter might have had a negative movement experience whether that be in school or whether that be in um you know going to the gym so I think anybody that reads it I want them to go oh there's there's other ways that I can move that I might enjoy and then if they're a teacher maybe they can try and find ways that their students enjoy because I really think that's the role of a PE teacher um the role isn't to create these sculpted bodies or to fight an obesity epidemic in two hours a week I mean that's nonsense um, but the role of a PE teacher for me personally is to find ways in which young people enjoy moving they feel a sense of belonging and authenticity within the curriculum and um, are able to carry that on throughout their life um, that phrase that you used there was absolutely amazing. You said about the ways that people who read the chapter like to move. And I think that's such a powerful way of describing it. So thank you very much. Certainly something we should all think about, I think. Um, we noticed one thing in your chapter that you said was uh, that the work of recentering marginalised communities, voices and cultures is a process. One that is part of re-envisaging a um, further education for our young people. However, it is filled with possibility and hope. We know um, that your own work has been so incredibly powerful. So could you maybe tell us just a little bit about some of the impact that that's had on some of the learners that you've worked with? Yeah, I think that, you know, when you take this direction and you... Um, decide that you're going to move away from very teacher-directed uh, Eurocentric activities. And we've given one example of something you can do. Um, but kind of my thing that I always say to my own trainees is, you know, be the change. And I don't know what that change might be. I don't know in the classroom when students come together and they have a voice within East London versus Nottingham, what the outcome is going to be. And that's the beauty of education. Every young person is different and the way in which they act and react in certain situations means that education is full of possibilities. Um, so hopefully the impact of that is that we have students and young people that are creative, ambitious, wanting to learn, wanting to move, wanting to know more, can make links to what they're doing in school, to, to their, their life in society and outside of school. And um, hopefully everybody can work towards being the change in some kind of way. Thank you. I love that. Education is full of possibilities. And I think that's so key. And, you know, we noticed that you said it in the chapter as well that actually, and you talked about it already, but that tokenistic curriculum is a, it doesn't make your curriculum diverse. Um, and you argue that our efforts should be seen as a holistic approach, combining anti-racist pedagogical approaches and a decolonizing philosophy towards education. And, and this is with my curriculum leadership and a teaching learning hat on, but what advice would you give to curriculum leadership teams and senior leadership teams in ensuring that this actually happens? I think you have to look at the makeup of your students and look at the backgrounds in which they're coming from and the holidays they celebrate and the religions in which they also follow and celebrate and um, go back to who you're actually teaching and 
who you are as an educator, um, because what we see in schools is um, teachers that don't actually live in the same area as their students and they come into that area and they teach and then they go back to their nice suburb and their nice big house. Um, so, it, you know, as a teacher, you need to do work as well. You need to learn who your students are. You need to acknowledge your own identity and whether that's the same or different to your students and what cultural negotiations and barriers that you need to come across and do some serious identity work. And then when you're creating your curriculum, because remember for me, you can't talk about curriculum unless we've explored ourselves and our students, then we can talk about the need. However, the need will always be dictated in some respects by our national curriculum and the things in which we have to teach to the test, which by the way, I'm not an advocate for, um, but hopefully our young students coming through will campaign and um, you know they'll be able to make some changes towards the way in which education, um, and, and I guess it's not really education in many ways, it's schooling, isn't it? At the moment, students are schooled and what we want is students to be have education um, because it's school is so much more than teaching to a test. Um, I was really interested as you speaking there about um, the, the things that need to happen. Um, do you think they are happening at the moment? Yeah, I think that in some pockets they are. Um, I think there's fantastic practice going on um, across the country and it might be in certain subjects. Um, so, for example, Sarah Bunnell PE are doing really, really well. Um, and I hear through Phys Equity, uh, other schools that have found are doing really great work within their PE departments. But I think on the whole, teachers are overworked. CPD is often not that targeted or dictated to by heads of department that might not have thought outside of the approach and so if we want to make real and radical change it always has to come from above top down um, and at the moment our national curriculum in PE specifically is very competitive orientated and many people don't know the bits and brackets are just suggestions um, so the bits and brackets say that say some example sports, for example, badminton hockey. And what we've seen is quite literal interpretation of that and that just happening in schools, the things that are in brackets. So I think work always has to be done um, from the top. And that's a very hard thing to change. And on that then, um, in an ideal world, what kind of changes would you like to see happen in the school system regarding the protected characteristic of race? I would like to see young people's cultures and heritages celebrated throughout the entire academic year. I would like to see all students learning about black history, about all students learning about Islam, for example. And I would like young people um, of, of all races and, and heritages to feel a sense of belonging in their school and to see educators that look like them. I love that. 
just I'm, I'm really moved by that and actually if we take it out then you know we we know there's been quite a focus on on race particularly but in an ideal world what changes would you like to see happen in wider society well i am an idealist and i know that we're time restricted um but i you know i would love to eradicate all social injustice of course i would our society is plagued with many socio-cultural issues 30% of our children are living in poverty and are hungry. These are basic needs that aren't being met. And we can't really talk about teaching and learning if we've got a student in front of us that's hungry. So um, in wider society, lots needs to change. Um, but we can start as educators in our classes by just having a packet of biscuits in the back and stop worrying about students eating in class because goodness me there's more important things in life that is so good to hear and thank you so much I completely echo with you with what you're saying about the connection between wider society and education itself and, and the importance of those conversations um so yeah I just wanted to say a really big thank you from uh, my point of view it's been really interesting to hear all of your contributions as ever um and really good to speak to you so thank you very much for that Thank you. We've been Nick Kitchener-Bentley and Yamina Bibi, the co-hosts of the Diverse Ed podcast. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Diverse Educators podcast. Check out the show notes for the recommendations from today's guest. We would love to hear what you think, so do leave us a review. We will be back soon with another author from our book, Diverse Educators Manifesto.